Hi folks, I'm Duncan Gill, child and adolescent psychiatrist. And I'm Victoria Lee, licensed clinical mental health counselor. And welcome to Is There a Med for That? The podcast about teen mental health, behavioral problems, and what to do about them. Victoria and I have been working together for years with kids. Sometimes we use therapy, sometimes medication. Sometimes we just give guidance to parents. And we realize that sometimes kids just need to be left alone. We don't have all the answers, but we've got some of them. We'll do our best to share what we've learned over the years working with struggling kids and their families. We hope you enjoy the show and that we can be helpful to those who have taken on the hardest, most important job in the world, being a parent. Hi, Victoria. How are you doing? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding, everybody. This is uh, actually Val today. I'm introducing Val. Hello. She's... um, our guest today, Victoria, actually is out this week. She should be back next week. And we're going to take this opportunity to introduce the extraordinary Val, who's an occupational therapist and actually an extraordinary therapist as well. She joined our team. You've been with our team for a while, actually. Like, yeah, like three years. You've been here about three years, but recently uh, has taken over job of, of one of our lead therapists. And uh, we've been very lucky to have her. Um she actually is expecting, and uh, can I say this on the show? Sure, okay yeah. It? yeah. It's definitely not a secret <laughs> as I'm seven months along. Seven months along, so we're going to lose her for a few months. Well, we're not going to lose her, but um, she'll be out and then back again. But we plan to have her regularly on the show. Uh, she brings in expertise and a um, uh, knowledge that, that we haven't had before. I've already learned a lot from her. So... Yes, Val. How's it going? Pretty good. I good. hope I can live up to the introduction. Yeah, how are you feeling so far on the show? Um, I feel a little intimidated by mm-hmm. the microphone. Mm-hmm. Normally, I just talk and nobody records it, so no, I it's great can't be held accountable. Nobody but me is going to interrupt you. All right. So basically, right. you can just speak and, and pretend people are listening. Pretend. Okay. I can do that. So Val is an occupational therapist. Val, what are the letters after your name for occupational therapist? So um, I guess you put your degree first. So mine is M-O-T. Different therapists might have had different degrees with um, different emphases. Emphases. I like it. Um, And then the certification, the part that you need to practice is occupational therapist are registered, which is national. And then there's a dash L, which is licensure through the state. So you have to be. So what's the full thing? So it's Valerie Bowles, M-O-T-O-T-R slash L. Wow. It's a lot of letters. Well, and I understand you may be going for your LCMHC as well. That is. Because there's a lot of overlap. In in the plan. Yes. So you have a lot more letters than I have to after my name. I guess Or Victoria. Yeah. I I think that's actually my career goal. As many letters as possible. As much of an alphabet soup as possible. Like it. So actually I should back up. The way Val and I met is interesting as well. I would agree. Yes. Because Val was my children's karate instructor. It's true. Yeah. And then Val is a black belt, Kempo Karate, American Kempo. Then my kids joined, then I joined. Mm -hmm. And for a while we were doing it together. Yep. And then I think you went off to college. I did. You went off to college and, and you haven't uh, been attending the studio. No, I'm really slacking off in the martial arts. Do we have any chance of getting you back at some point? I think, yeah. I, I definitely enjoy it a lot um, with the COVID. And you were good at it, yeah. Having a kid and, you know, there, there's a lot going stuff, on. Stuff but, getting in the way you know, right now. It's, it's in the plan. 
But that's how Val and I met. And then she was intern OT and adolescent mental health. So she came in for like a day. You and Ashley came in. Yes. And really took to it. So in February of 2020 was my first 2020. Yep. So, but yeah, one thing led to another and mm-hmm. we've got her here. And now, now you can't get rid of me. Now she's stuck here. Yes. So could you explain to us, because actually a lot of psychiatrists don't know this either. It, mm. We were talking about sort of the different worlds of OT and other mental health, which is really yeah. crazy and how there's not enough crosstalk. So what exactly is an occupational therapist? That is a great question. Um, I actually think occupational therapy is misunderstood in a certain way because I think the theoretical underpinnings of occupational therapy doesn't fit into the medical model as neatly as, say, another profession or another discipline would. Um, And by that, I mean occupational therapists are trained to start with the functions that a person has Uh. so the we call them like your occupation so not necessarily paid employment but like what keeps you occupied um Uh and so for very young children you know that's eating and playing and then for you know adults in their midlife that includes a lot of responsibility eating Um, eating still you are responsible for playing chewing and things playing yeah things don't really go away but we tend to accumulate occupations as we go. Um, so for some occupational therapists, it might look like, how do I, uh, prevent carpal tunnel and Uh office workers? You know, how do we keep people the most functional that they can be throughout their lifespan? Um, for others, you're seeing people post-surgically helping them return to their functional. So is that sort of like a, a PT? Really similar, actually. Yeah. Today I I saw someone with a PT. We just went in together and it's so, there's so much uh, like symbiosis between the two Mm -hmm. in certain settings and in certain circumstances that we work very closely together because movement is a huge part of function. So OTs have expertise in movement as well as in cognitive and emotional functions. So... That was work. You do some work in the hospital. I do. So OTs yep. are in the hospital. and We're everywhere. You're everywhere. Yeah. Secretly. Yeah, sneaky. Um, and you're helping, as, as I recall from some work in the hospital, you do things like you can help stroke folks rehabilitate. Yep. yep. And it has more to sort of, is it fair to say physical therapy is more sort of just simple motion and occupational therapy is learning how to do tasks again. Yeah, <clears> yeah. And, and within that, there's so much... It's, it's such a fluid relationship between, um, you know, it's going to be really hard to brush your teeth if you can't get into your bathroom. Hmm. So regardless of, you know, you might cognitively like know all of the steps of brushing your teeth and be able to do them and be motivated and able to do them, able to tell when it's time to brush your teeth. Right. All of those things are important. But at the end of the day, if you can't reach your sink because of some kind of physical problem or you can't grab onto the toothbrush... Um, that's important. So occupational therapists will, we work really closely with a lot of members of the medical team. And there are sometimes that we'll say, you know what, maybe physical therapy has this one and we Uh don't need to be involved anymore. Um, specifically other times it might go the opposite way. So it's really, um, a dynamic relationship among the medical team. And you work, I know, it, you, you did outpatient work primarily with kids. Yes, all for, with kids. Yeah. All with kids. We'll get to that. 
But um, you work closely with speech therapists as well. Super close with speech therapists, especially in the pediatric setting. Um, speech is probably another specialty that is maybe misunderstood. We should get um, yeah. your friend. Shannon. Shan- thank you. Shannon on the show uh, who understands speech therapy can tell us some about that yeah. because we have a lot of kids uh, getting speech there. And that's another one where they go into hospitals as well and help yep. older folks mm-hmm. recovering from various problems. Yeah, swallowing. Even. Swallowing. And so you work with, were there other specialties that worked with you in Bedford? Um, f- physical therapy again. Physical therapy. Um, I did a lot more collaborating and cooperating with the school system because okay. there's a, you know, if you think about the occupations of children, going to school is a big one for a lot of kids. Mm. So I did a lot of corresponding with classroom teachers, special education teachers, um, emotional behavioral uh, teachers within the school system. Um, did a lot of work with vision therapy actually as well. Huh? Yeah. And what would be some examples of things you'd help kids with in school? Oh, well, Hmm. my least favorite handwriting. Really? They ask you to help with handwriting. Actually in some schools, the occupational therapist is known as the handwriting teacher, which is not something that occupational therapists like. Generally, I bet um, it must be frustrating. It's a little, it's people can feel a little pigeonholed by that for sure. Um, but if you think about, um, so this is where occupational therapy really shines is thinking about complex tasks with multiple variables. What are those variables and why is this so hard for this individual? So, in learning to write, there's obviously a huge language component, like sounds and letters. I don't really do that stuff that we leave that to Shannon, um, our speech therapy friends, but there's, can you recognize the letter? Are your eyes working together in order to form a clear, crisp picture? Hmm. Once that picture gets to your brain, are you able to tell if it's a B or a D, which is a very specific neurological skill, um, is something facing left or facing right. It obviously takes a long time for kids to learn their lefts and rights. Um, Are you able to then take that picture of the letter, plan the strokes that your hand has to make, hold on to the pencil, figure out and do it within the time that the teacher expects. It's a really complicated skill for kids, um, for all kids really, but especially if there's something lagging or maybe they have an attention issue. Things right. tend to get kind of hairy. I bet. And yeah. now kids are using computers more and more, right? Do, oh, don't does anybody know how started. to write with their hands anymore? So the expectation in schools is still that kids are able to write most of the time. They're expected right. to write, but they don't teach writing anymore. A lot of districts. It's district huh. specific. Um, a lot of the move is towards early literacy. So there's a lot more work on reading um, without explicit teaching on letter formation, which is tough for the occupational therapists in schools. Yeah. And you do a lot of work transitioning. And this has been, actually, I wanted to say this first, is that when we were thinking about Val's role here and what she brought here, and what we found was that, um, use the word functioning, right? All all the time. And we use the word functioning, which is, we talk about we're in the function better business versus the feel better business. And really life can be viewed as sort of a series of tasks. And we talk about how 
we can't really control feelings, mm-hmm. but we can control, we can help folks function better. And yeah. usually if you function better, you end up feeling better. Mm-hmm. So you sort of bring a different perspective on things as we try to help folks function better. Literally, that's your job description. Yeah. It's great for me. That's great. Yeah. It fits in really well. Yeah. And then you've been particularly helpful with kids with autism, which we're seeing more and more of. So autism is a a real specialty of OT. Is that correct? Yeah. So one of the big things in OT for for a long time, pediatric occupational therapists, it was mostly cerebral palsy and spina bifida and much more like things that we would think about affecting physical function a little bit more. And, but one thing that is defined as our, an area that occupational therapists work in is social participation, because that is an occupation. Huh. And because of this like magic little thing that is called social participation, they started bringing OTs into the, the autism conversation in the autism world um, to help with that, because although speech therapists can also help with social stuff, and they sometimes are... Uh, the one doing the social part, that's an area that we overlap in. And autistic individuals also commonly have a speech delay. So they were working a lot on the speech part. And so initially, occupational therapists got brought in because of the social to help facilitate some of the social development. And um, kind of simultaneously with that happening, this concept of sensory integration was um, we can being do a whole researched and about developed. That. Yeah. yeah, that's that's I think often in um, pediatrics and especially in mental health, the kids we see here, um, kids and their parents will often be like, "Oh, occupational therapy, I know what you do," because I've had sensory needs in the past. It uh-huh. really is. Um, there's a lot emotionally involved in processing the world so differently. So um, we see a lot of those kids here. So. We make use of Val a lot when it comes to autistic kids. And we really, you know, uh, there's sort of a, I think, <clears throat> at least popular knowledge is that the d- diagnosis of autism is going higher and higher. Yes. And from my experience, when when I trained anyways in early in my career, there was a, seemed to be a narrower definition of autism. Yeah. So I now will see a kid, and we just did this two days ago, and I'll ask Val, is this kid autistic? <laughs> <laughs> and it, I can pick up on social difficulties and uh, milestone problems and that kind of thing. But the definition really is larger. It's either changed to larger or it's larger than I thought to begin with. Yeah. So I will ask because it is very useful. Uh, the, the label we don't get too hung up on, but the categorization is very helpful because they do respond to um, a certain at least way of thinking. Yeah, like different. What I found to be really helpful with our autistic clients that come here is like just talking to them about autism and the way they might yes. be processing relationships a little bit differently and not in a um, in a very affirming way. Like, yeah. this is okay. It's okay that you're a little more literal, a little more black and white. It's actually an asset in a lot of situations. Um but know, know that that's why you're getting stuck sometimes. And there's a way around that. It's just to communicate with the people around you. Um, so I've really enjoyed working with kind of the older, the older kids um, on the autism spectrum because... Because you did really a lot of work with three-year-olds and four-year-olds, right? Yeah. So yeah, when I did outpatient, I always had somebody that was a little bit younger than two 
that started wow. with me um, for m- majority of different reasons, a variety of different reasons. Um, and then I would go all the way up through the teenage years. So it's been cool focusing on the teens because the conversations that you have are a little bit more in depth. And um, they've given me a huge understanding of what autism looks like, like played out in a functional setting. Yeah, over time. And um, like one of the kids said to me yesterday, you know, I think the time awareness problem problem that I have that a lot of autistic people have, it has to do with starting and finishing tasks, which I won't get into it because I don't think I fully understand it myself at this point, but neurologically that makes so much sense Mm. and cognitive, like when we look at cognitive science makes so much sense, Mm. but to have somebody with the experience explicate that to me, I was like, wow, this is really special. And a lot of kids, we need to do about five episodes on autism probably, yeah, to start us out, (laughs) but the kids who we've seen who clearly are autistic and not picked up, we also see kids who... I think you and I agree have been misdiagnosed with autism. Yes. So we see 100%. a lot of that. But the kids who are really autistic, most of them are very relieved. Yes. Yes. Like this is especially, um, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like they're majority female often. Yes. The missed diagnoses. Yes. And they will talk about, you know, I'll be in a room and I say something and I can tell everybody goes quiet. And I can tell people are uncomfortable with what I said, but I don't know what right. they're uncomfortable with and I don't know how to fix it, which is, is like, oh, yeah. that just like gets me right in the heart. Like these poor, poor kids, like that's a yeah. really hard thing to have happen day after day, time after time. Um, and so when we say, that's just autism, like, and here's, here's how to handle that. Right. Then it's like, oh, I'm not like. Right. There's nothing wrong with me per se. It's just a different way of being. And I didn't really consider this because there's really a a disconnect that should not be there between psychiatry and OT in terms of, I think, at least the psychiatry field not being really aware of how much OTs can bring. But you really do a lot of neurology. A lot of neurology. And that's new in the field, actually. Um, So actually, occupational therapists started in psychiatry. Really? So we kind of like, I feel like we were coming full circle maybe like in our history, but OT started, I believe it, I don't really remember the history, but it, theoretically I learned it and you don't know it. So I can just make some I don't up. know the history of psychiatry. Yeah, so I can just, I'll just make some stuff up. It was World War One, probably. Oh. Um, and a bunch of psychiatric nurses were working with um, uh, veterans that were coming back that were, you know, shell shocked, which we now call PTSD. PTSD. And, um, they were like, these guys are really coming in and they're kind of just staring at walls. And that doesn't seem like a way to health. So they started actually teaching them crafts. So they would teach them leather working and, um, I don't know what are some other crafts, basket weaving, clay, stuff like that. Um, just to kind of keep them occupied. So give them an occupation. And, um, there was a, it was co-occurring with the arts and crafts movement, which there was a lot of, um, in our culture return to like value Hmm. in crafts. So it would also be a job. It would be a livelihood. Um, and in my mind's eye, I'm also thinking from the pictures I saw on the walls in OT school that some of these guys also had like amputations and mm. other physical things going on. So there you kind of see this germination of 
how do we get you to function if you're, you know, having major psychiatric difficulties, but also you have one hand, like, how are we going to keep mm. you from staring at a wall and really like it's very practical, super practical. So, um, these nurses, they kind of created their own little specialty, which later branched off of nursing and became OT. We, this is the time when, we, when we're a little bigger, we're going to have fact checking as we go. Yeah. Angela, have you fact checked any of this while we've been talking? Yeah. Angela's going to get into probably like a different fact war, a different country. Pretty soon, I'd like to have earpieces though, so we can actually yeah. get fact. Che- we can sound much more intelligent. Yeah, but I think if you saw the pictures on the wall in the school that I went to, you'd be like, "Yeah, that's probably right." Hmm. <laughs> that's good. Uh, so, what is the training for OT? How does one become an OT? Well, um, so you do your undergrad. Yeah. You can kind of it kind of similar to medicine. So that's four years bachelor's? Four years bachelor's. And it's actually, there's a little controversy right now. Mm. um, Because when I was almost done getting um, my degree in occupational therapy, they were switching it to a doctorate. So I have a master's degree. Right now it's an entry level master's degree to be licensed. That's two years? Two years. But they're going to change it to a four year? They're going to change. I don't know if it's going to be three or Uh, four. This is the controversy. So um probably within our career, um, occupational therapy will be a doctorate. And I think it's largely because the field of neurology has gone so far forward in the last couple of decades. Like we know so much more about the brain, which is relevant both to OTs that work in the psychiatric field in, um, like neurology proper, like strokes and TBIs and things as well as in like development. So pediatrics. And, um, so there's a higher, there's a wider array of things that you kind of have to have mastery in to be functional as an OT. Right. So the training is becoming a little more intense. Now you've had one, one cool thing about having Val here is you, we've had a number of kids who you've gone on to see privately afterwards. Yes. We don't like to advertise it so you don't get totally swamped and we lose. Yeah. Yeah. Here. Yeah. But uh, it's been very cool that Val's been able to continue doing work with some of the kids who's finished at Direction. Yep. And uh, how has the experience been here, Val? And Terrible. That's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I hate it here. <laughs> well, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> and the end of my job. <laughs> no, I love it here. I think what I like about this setting in particular, and I liked it since the first day I was here, even though I really wasn't sure what the heck was going on, to mm. be totally honest. Not us either. Yeah. Um, was that this is a functional environment for kids because there's a lot of time that we allow the kids to just do, um, you know, arts and crafts if they want to, or just like hang out on the couch and like talk to their friends. Like if you think about the occupations of teenagers, of what, what are the healthy occupations of healthy teenagers, sitting on a couch and talking to your friends is a healthy occupation. So when we're thinking about kids on a global scale and on a macro level of, what do we want for these kids to be healthy, to function better? We want them to practice it. And right. so when I like when I walk in and I see, oh, this one's making a snack, and these two are on the couch, and you know these boys are running and probably making too much noise. That's actually like those are all healthy teenage occupations. So I love it here as a as a human being, but also as a, a therapist, you see kids practicing, practicing good, healthy things. Kind of what we do. Kind of what we do. Yeah. 
That is awesome. Do we have any f- fact checking uh, results? I'm a little slow today, but I'd just like to point out that value nails the history. Oh, we have we have confirmation history. from our fact checker. Yes. That Val got the history correct, so we are going to invite her on the show again. Great. Uh, Val, it's been wonderful having you, and uh, Val's going to be a regular here and share expertise. And thank you, Val, for coming. Thanks for having me. My favorite podcast. This is your favorite podcast by far. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say by far. By far. But probably my favorite. Yeah. One of the better podcasts. One of the better... I'm sorry, there's a great bakery in Scotland. We went to Scotland. (laughs) That... Its slogan at the bottom was one of the better bakeries in Scotland, which I thought was hilarious how yeah. understated it was. And also just We're better like than 50% of the others. I'm in the top half. Yes. So we're one of the better <laughs> podcasts. Top half for sure. The, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But thanks everybody for coming. And uh, hopefully Vicky will be back next week. Uh, have a good day. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Is There a Med for That? For more information about our podcast and our clinical work, visit our website at medforthat.com. If you've got questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover, feel free to email us at contact at medforthat.com. We'd love to answer some of your questions on air. Have a great day.